The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And on today's podcast, we are thrilled to have with us a guest, a host of the AI with Alex YouTube channel and Y of AI founder, Alex Kastrunas, who will be joining us here to share his insights. So first, let me just say hello and welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thank you for having me, Ron and Kathleen. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, we were just actually uh, interviewed live. So you're listening to us actually about a week or two after our live uh, stream with Alex on his AI with uh, Alex YouTube channel podcast, uh, video cast. Uh, I know I got podcast in my mind here and you might be coming <laughs> over. Actually, you might have seen that and you might have heard about the AI Today podcast. And you might not know what this crazy podcast is all about. But for those of you who are new to the AI Today podcast, we focus on what organizations of all types are actually doing today to try to put AI into production, the challenges of AI today. And we've now are over at four years of doing this podcast, 200 plus episodes. We've interviewed folks from organizations such as Merck and Wells Fargo and, you know, in, in the mining industry and in construction, in banking and insurance. And we've also spent a lot of time with public sector uh, folks. We've interviewed folks in the government from the IRS, the Department of Energy, Department of Defense, um, as well as international folks. We've interviewed the Lord Tim Clement Jones of the UK House of Lords and, and what's happening in the city of Oslo and folks in Australia. And um, of course, we've also spent time looking at some of the challenges of AI from a market perspective. We've brought some of our market research into this uh, as analysts in the space, and we've really focused on it. So I encourage some of you to listen to some of our previous podcast episodes, get some of those insights, kind of hear what's going on. You might hear some celebrities on there as well. Colin Angle, founder of iRobot, Ben Gertzel, uh, founder of uh, the Sophia robot and uh, all that's happening there, the singularity.net. Um, and, and so I think really our purpose here for this podcast is to really focus on the here and now, because at the end of the day, there's a lot of promise for what AI can be. And we want to see that promise realized. And part of it is just working through some of those challenges. So again, I want to thank our, our guests here, Alex Kastrunas, and would love to sort of get some of the insights from some of what he's seeing uh, in his interviews and his years uh, in this space as well. Right. So welcome, Alex. We're so excited that you're here. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners, tell them a little bit about your background and why you started the AI with YouTube channel, and maybe also, you know, what is why of AI? Yeah, absolutely. So thanks again. Uh, super excited to be here. Um, so again, I'm Alex Kastrunas. I'm uh, the founder of two companies, actually. One's Inno Architect, and the other is Why of AI. I'm the author of a book called AI for People in Business, a framework for better human experiences and business success. And I'm also an adjunct at Northwestern University uh, Kellogg, uh, teaching AI as part of their MBA AI graduate program. Um, and so, yeah, I, I got into AI quite a long time ago. So I have sort of a, a strange, unusual kind of career path, but um, I used to work in IndyCar racing for about 10 years. So I was a race strategist engineer and a data scientist uh, in IndyCar racing. And I'd sort of 
set my sights on that. Uh, when I was actually in high school, I kind of made a decision to go into that field. I had seen my very first Indy 500 when I was like a junior in high school, it blew me away. And I was like, yes, I'm doing that for sure for a living someday. And then I just kind of pursued that. Um, and then, you know, sort of fast forward after college, got my first opportunity in, in the professional motorsports industry. And these cars, um, you know, they have like 80, 90 sensors on them that are measuring everything you can imagine from temperatures to pressures, to displacements, to rotations, to forces, to everything. And so it's like literally an IOT system moving at like 250 miles an hour that's sending data over the airwaves and telemetry and all this, uh, but really also big data in the truest sense of big data because it's just mountains and mountains of data. And so as an engineer um, and a data scientist where you're working with closely with the driver, but you can also tweak the car, the car is infinitely sort of adjustable, um, sort of just like similar to hyperparameter tuning for the listeners that are familiar with like neural networks, things like that. Imagine just an infinite combinations and then all this data, you're, you're really struck. And the, the, the breakneck pace at which, you know, professional motorsports happens you're trying to find any way to get the deepest, most actionable insights you can as possible that help make the car fat, ultimately faster, so perform better and help make the driver feel more comfortable in the car. But also once there's an actual race going, you know, trying to optimize what's called the race strategy, which is basically deciding, you know, when do you pit? What, when are your competitors likely to pit? How much fuel to put in the car? What tires to put on the car? Should you make any aero adjustments and so on and so forth? And so um, towards the end of my racing career, I was running the uh, vehicle dynamics and data science program at Andretti Autosport. And our program was sort of pioneering the, the use of AI and machine learning and how to uh, approach those things, uh, meaning optimize you know, the car setup and the race strategy and also was supporting a four-car IndyCar team. And then, uh, you know, after that, I transitioned to the tech industry because I was sort of on the road for a long time and sort of felt like it was time to, to switch over. And since then, I've been uh, working with, uh, I've worked with some industry-leading SaaS companies, product companies, and then transitioned to um, consulting largely and uh, have worked with Fortune 100 companies all the way to early-stage startups and middle market. And as you mentioned, I founded a company called Y of AI, which is really focused on AI uh, courses, certifications, and training, but specifically for decision makers and business people. Um, so, you know, executives, managers, entrepreneurs, uh, designers, marketers, policymakers, basically anybody that, that should learn more about AI, but may not be technical by training, uh, something like that. So, Yeah. There's definitely a need for that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we have learned, you know, uh, we've spent some time on basic education. You know what? The market still needs education across the board. Uh, there's actually maybe too much education for the lower level folks. I have to call developers and data scientists and data engineers lower level. You're incredibly important people to us. But um, there's a lot of stuff you can learn about Python. But there's not as much stuff about how do you how do you do supervised learning or even some of the higher level issues of, of how do you bring this into, into business. So I think that's really very necessary. And I think in your uh, YouTube channel and in some of the stuff you've been talking about in your business, you've really been focused a lot 
on on sort of putting the these aspects of AI into practice. I really love the the story of the Formula One and the race car background. I think that's fantastic. Um, but you know, there, and people may not realize some of the inherent challenges of of putting things at speed, right? So putting accelerating projects. I'm going to tie these two things together one way or the other. So yeah. what what have you seen uh, in the area of responsible AI? You know, really trying to make AI work in a responsible way. You know, for ethics, fairness, and safety. You know, how has that really evolved? Uh, as you've seen these AI projects over these these many years? That's a great question. I mean, that's a a really interesting area of AI right now and one that I'm uh, certainly interested in and focusing on largely. I think one of the first things I would say is that there's definitely a conversation going on about it, right? Like I remember not all that long ago when there really wasn't so much of a conversation about it. And so, you know, now people are talking about responsible AI and things like you mentioned, fairness, safety, and all that. And so what's happening, what we're seeing is people are starting to establish these concepts of things like fairness and safety and bias and whatever, and also starting to create frameworks to address AI responsibly. Um, and, and some of those things deal with, as we said, fairness, safety, but also transparency, explainability, interpretability, um, even identifying the different types of biases and how they might enter into AI systems and how do you mitigate those, those types of things. Another area in terms of responsible AI that I've seen that's, that's really interesting too is you know, sort of more the impact related area. So whether that's the impact of AI on the environment, on society, on economics, or really on the nature of work itself. And so, you know, people are applying things like the ESG uh, environment, society, or social uh, and governance criteria to developing AI systems, Um, starting to talk more about, you know, what is the current impact of AI on work today, whether you're talking about things like automation or augmented intelligence. and also what could be the potential impact of AI on society and work tomorrow too in the future. Um, and one of the, the things that comes to the forefront is really that going back to that education piece is the need for, you know, as jobs are certain jobs are being automated or certain tasks are being automated, sort of that, that transition and that shift to focusing more on training upskilling, reskilling, and cross-skilling, which is really what Y of AI is all about, my company, Y of AI. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, yes, certain jobs are being automated by AI, and more jobs in the future will also be automated by, by AI. But a lot of the research I'm seeing, I'd be curious what, what you both are seeing as well, is sort of indicating that really, at least in the short-term forecasts, um, the research is showing more of a net gain of jobs rather than a net loss of jobs. But what seems to be the, the issue at hand here is that this, this sort of shift in what the jobs actually are and what the skills are that are needed for those jobs could generate some potential inequalities um, and things like that. And so in some ways, it's kind of, at least in the short term, it's less about pure automation of jobs, but more about like, how do you sort of identify potential for inequalities and mitigate those things. And then finally, I would say, you know, um, well, actually two more things real quick is that um, obviously people are talking a lot about privacy and security and for good reason. And so you're seeing things like, uh, you know, GDPR in Europe, and now they just released their AI proposal for regulations around that. 
There's frameworks like federated learning that people are looking at. And then the last thing I would just say is that one of the, the things I'm coming across lately is the, I think we, we probably need to, as I said, there's a, there's a discussion, right? And we all are hearing about it in the news every day. We're talking about it. But I think some people have definitely expressed to me that we need to go beyond dis- discussion now to more action. And I think we're making some progress there and some organizations are rising to the challenge there. Uh, But, you know, in terms of responsible AI, there still aren't sort of great um, universal guidelines or best practices, uh, benchmarks or things like fairness metrics that could be applied widely. Um, And so I I think we're in an interesting state right now of conversation going. Now let's, let's get to action there. Yeah, that's that's really great insight. That is something that we've been seeing as well. You actually had a lot of really great things you mentioned in this that last bit here. You, I know you're asking about jobs, um, and you're right. the The jobs uh, workforce has not been negatively impacted by and large by the use increasing use of AI, even the increasing use of automation, just straight up automation. Whether you, it's automation in the uh, you know the, the the factory floor or in the in the warehouse or automation in retail. Or software automation, you know, a lot of white collar automation really hasn't had much impact. As a matter of fact, I think we have a bit of a labor shortage going on, especially in the the part of the economy where you would expect there to be issues of of of, of workforce, you know, maybe excess workforce because of automation. We're not actually seeing that, so it does say something about that. There actually was a New York Times article a few years ago that's called the automation paradox, um, and it talks about how um, Amazon had increasingly invested in automation in their warehouses with the Kiva bots and all this sort of stuff. And regardless, their employment at their warehouses had continued to go up. So as they were investing in automation, they were also hiring more people, which which was, was a bit of a paradox. And, and you can read and find that article. Maybe we'll link to that in the show notes. I think that's really insightful. The second point before I hand it back to my colleague here is, is that uh, on ethical frameworks, we saw the same thing. There is a lack of consistency between what government agencies are talking about, nonprofits, corporate standards groups, and blah, blah, are talking about ethics. And they're talking about all, there's a mishmash of concepts. And we actually did some research and we, we found all the ethical frameworks. We chopped them all up. We com- tried to compare them as much as possible. And we produced, a, uh, in a t- typical analyst fashion, we produced a report about all these ethical frameworks. We, we did the gaps. And then what we did is we came up with like, well, if you were to just combine all the different aspects of the frameworks into one sort of Uber framework, what would it look like? And we created this thing called the, the our ethic, Cognolytica's Ethical AI Framework. And we just made it freely available. It's actually even Creative Commons. So we don't mind if people take it and use it and extend it. So if, if you're interested in that, we'll link to that as well. But you're right. There, there, we just want people to do something, you know, and not just keep reinventing the wheel and all talk, no action, right? Yeah. You know, we always talk about how AI is a transformative technology. And with any transformative technology, you are going to get disruption in the workforce. But, um, you know, as we brought up, there is that interesting paradox with Amazon. Also, I recently read an article because Amazon, we're recording this in August of 2021. So if you're listening to this later, you know, time will tell what really happens here. But Amazon wants to, um, 
have stores in malls. And they're saying that within a year, it's predicted that Amazon is actually going to be the largest uh, employer in the United States taking over Walmart's spot. So you can say, okay, but they've brought in all this automation. They use all this artificial intelligence, but yet they still are now going to be the largest employer. So that's very interesting. And you know, we're obviously going to keep an eye on that. But yeah, but it is interesting. And Ron had mentioned the ethical frameworks. There are some countries in particular India, for example, that's really focused on how AI will impact jobs and the workforce. As part of this ethical framework, you know, we we should have companies who are creating and using AI systems. Think about that, you know, and governments as well and government agencies. How is this going to impact your workforce? Um, and make sure that, uh, you know, you're not creating artificial intelligence and having it to really replace large amounts of the human workforce. So that's something that, you know, people should be mindful of. Transitioning to my next question, uh, you know, we know that you have been able to interview many people on your YouTube channel as well and get some great insights from all across the market. And especially with your company as well, you get to talk to a bunch of different people. So what are you seeing as some of the biggest trends emerging in artificial intelligence today? Yeah, there, there's quite a few. Um, so, you know, one of them, we, we kind of touched on it with the jobs thing, but this idea of augmenting intelligence. So, you know, finding AI, you're leveraging AI to automate certain aspects of people's jobs and tasks that they do that are very tedious and rote and sort of like not not very interesting. Um, and so there's a lot of interest there and there's more and more applications of it. Um, which is, you know, could have potential benefits for both employees and businesses, because obviously, you know, if employees can focus more on what they like to do and what they were really hired to do, be more productive, more creative and all that, they, you would imagine be happier doing their job every day and happy employees tends to be good for companies as well uh, for retention and that sort of thing. But just the, um, the use cases, I mean, like, before you would hear about like call center stuff, right? That was the big one. It's like, okay, call center, customer service, there's a lot going on there. But I'm just hearing so many more applications these days and use cases of how to apply augmented intelligence in the real world and in the workplace. Things like uh, automating certain aspects of running a ICU unit so that doctors and nurses can focus more on the patients that need the help the most and things like that. So that's one area that's really interesting. Um, conversational AI is sort of the elephant in the room nowadays before it was kind of computer vision. It still is. But um, I think one of the areas that now is getting a lot of the sort of news and press hype, if you will, um, but in some ways rightfully so because of some of these big large language models we're seeing like GPT-3 is really around that conversational AI type application. So whether it's your chat bots or your, you know, uh, conversational, or sorry, your virtual assistants, like your Amazon Alexas, uh, Echoes or Google Homes. Um, and, and really, you know, the, the, the bucket is conversational AI, but in terms of the actual AI sort of methodology or technique, it's really more natural language understanding. Um, I know you guys have talked about NLP and natural language generation. Then there's this NLU thing, which is really all about, again, natural language understanding, which is all about sort of, um, you know, when people are speaking, whether it's natural language coming from speech or coming from text, how do you convert that into understanding, you know, what is somebody's intent? Are they trying to schedule something? 
Are they trying to buy something? Are they just trying to get an answer to their question? You know, what is it that somebody's like talking to a chat, uh, a device or, you know, pinging back and forth with a chat bot? What are they trying to do? Also, what are the entities that are being talked about? So uh, is somebody mentioning certain dates or certain places or certain people, you know, having AI that can actually like recognize those entities during the conversation, extract those, combine it with the intent, and even have some sort of like memory or what they call context and sort of putting that all together and creating this idea of natural language understanding to power these conversational AIs. I think we're, we're seeing that get a lot more sophisticated, although I, you know, we can all probably agree that the term understanding is probably a little uh, too generous because in the, at the end of the day, you know, AI really doesn't sort of understand or comprehend like humans do, but um, still an, an interesting trending emerging, emerging area of AI. I think also, you know, certain areas like reinforcement learning or self-supervised learning, um, those kinds of things where more were like, you know, sort of cheeky, you're, you're not cheeky, but you're using it to play video games or, or do these different things. Actually seeing those applied now also in some pretty compelling uh, and profound sort of real world applications and use cases, um, as well as like people innovating in deep learning, for example, different components and architectures. Um, for those of the, the people in your audience that may know a, a little bit more about something like GPT-3, which is getting all into the news everywhere, you know, what really powers that made it sort of unlock that potential is what's called a transformer architecture. So like starting to see these new things like transformers really um, make progress. Um, other areas like autonomous systems, obviously, you know, people have been talking about that, whether it's in vehicles like cars and drones or robotics. Um, for anybody that's been in an Amazon Go store, uh, that's quite something I have to admit. I've been in one of those a few times and it's, it's impressive. You know, you, you're, you're basically using what's called sensor fusion. So you're combining proximity sensors and computer vision uh, and, and sort of weight sensors and different things so that essentially people could just scan a code, walk into a store, grab whatever they want, put it in their pockets, put it in their backpack. Kind of makes you feel like you're shoplifting because you're trained not to do that sort of thing, but you can do that. You can just start putting things wherever you want and then just walk right out. There's no register or anything. Um, you know, obviously those Amazon Go stores are sort of the early stages in the pilot, if you will, but we'll, we'll see what's going on uh, as time progresses. And then a few other areas like generative AI, you know, deep fakes are sort of the one talked about the most, but there's a lot of other really interesting forms of uh, generative AI where you can, you know, generate text automatically from an image or a video uh, for various reasons. Um, and that's really it. I mean, I would say those are some of the really interesting trends and in emerging areas and just the explosion of, of AI in the real world that I, I've been seeing as opposed to um, just, you know, sort of the theoretical or sort of talk, um, academic aspects of AI. Yeah, well, th those are some great trends. You picked a picked a couple of really really good ones, and and uh, we're yeah. with you on. And that's actually interestingly, you start. You were talking about NLU, 
and uh, sort of the, the the role within NLP. And of course, now, of course, NLG is getting a lot of interesting hype with the GPT-3 stuff, but that's mm-hmm. actually how we started. I think we talked about this a little bit on, on your podcast. We actually started from the voice side because that's where we started seeing some interesting stuff. And we're like, huh, that's interesting. We clearly crossed some sort of threshold here because these, these voice devices are getting better at understanding speech. Now, you, you got to the main point here, which is that they they can understand speech, but they can't really understand intent that well. Um, you know, I, I say we're we're podcasters. You're on YouTube. We certainly have been looking for the holy grail of the transcription technology. That's how we know how good NLP and NLU is because we're like, yeah, you know, there's still a lot of problems. And I'm like, these systems clearly are missing common sense because it's obvious when I'm introducing myself, I wouldn't call myself, I don't know what the Rob Shield Grove or something. I don't know. I think Mulch comes up. Yeah. yeah, You're Kathleen Mulch and I'm like Rob Schmield Grove or something. I'm like, (laughs) that doesn't make any sense. I mean, like, I I don't know how these NLP systems are working, but it's supposed to be like, it's supposed to be doing probabilistic that this is probably what this word is. I'm like, eh, something's not right here. Deep learning may or may not actually really be necessarily even the right approach for doing common sense or machine reasoning, which Mm. seems to be a lot of kind of where where we're at with that. But these are great trends. Some of you are talking about Amazon Go. You know, we, we, Kathleen and I have obviously both, both have experience and, and we spend time there, but we, you know, might be good for us to, to dig deep on an Amazon Go store experience. Mm-hmm. I don't know what their policies are like to go in there <laughs> with the camera. Or test it out. Test it out. And- you know, I always wonder too, how that works with like very little children. Cause if I'm like, well, go in and just grab anything and walk out of a store. If they go into like a yeah. CVS or, <laughs> or the grocery store, you know, honey, you can't do that. That is shoplifting. Yeah, exactly. This is not the autonomous version of the store. You can't just walk in and take something. I'm wondering about that. The, the, the people. <laughs> training side. Go ahead. Yes, Alex. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, so this is really interesting because that's actually one of the aspects. Like, it's already pretty remarkable in and of itself, right? And, and like, every time I walk in there, I'm just sort of blown away by it. And uh, But it can, it can kind of do, as far as I know, what you just said, Kathleen, which is, um, and that's the part that's sort of like way more mind-blowing is, you know, let's say I have the app on my phone and I scan in, but I'm with a group of people. I have like four people with me, right? We walk in the store. I only was the, I was the only one that scanned. So therefore linked this shopping expedition, let's say to my Amazon account. But then let's say we all split up and go in different aisles. We grab different things. We do all this. And then even leave the store at different times, separated by minutes. Somehow it tracks and knows and then charges you you know, at the end, it's like, okay, here's your receipt. Uh, you've already long left. You get the notification, not long left, but you get the notification. It's tracked it all. It's somehow new who is. Uh, so that's, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some of it actually builds upon uh, stuff that's coming out of the defense department. I know it's crazy, but this whole idea of tracking fleets and tracking mm. flog, uh, 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 birds, flocks of birds, and it all kind of comes together. It's like, okay, this is clearly a fleet. So like you're coming in with your little fleet, your little, little right. here, and you're going in there and you're dividing and conquering. That's pretty, pretty cool. Well, you know, this is really great. You know, so, so far this has been fantastic. I love the sort of the insights you have, you know, and, and definitely, you know, I, I know that one of the things that we spent a lot of our time looking at uh, some of these implementations, which just seems so science fiction-y, is that there actually is a, really a lot of practical stuff. 99% of the stuff we talk about in our podcast is 
very much the mundane. I'm just trying to do a classifier or a recognition system or something like that. And you, even those projects, we talked about this on your channel, you know, people are still having trouble, you know, even getting those projects into, into production. We talk about sort of the 80 to 90% failure rate, which should not be, you would tell all of our listeners, you should not be having that failure. You're having that failure because something is going on. Either you're solving the wrong problem. You're trying to bite off too much. You don't have the data you need. There's some internal structure that's preventing you from making that happen. Certainly that's what we talk about. We talked about this in your pod, on your YouTube channel as well, where, where we were talking about methodology and methodology matters. You know, uh, you should be able to have a good degree of success as long as the technology is capable of doing what it says it can, which is another issue, as long as you have the data that you say you need, and as long as you basically follow steps in a logical order, you should be successful. That's part of the, we talk about the CPMAI methodology, the cognitive project management for AI methodology. You can find out more about that on Cognolytica.com, C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com, or you can uh, do, go, th go through a methodology certification if you like, or training at courses.cognolytica.com. But methodology really does matter. That's I think we're kind of at this point in the evolution of AI here in this third wave where we're like, okay, we want this to stick around. We want this to be successful. We're going to talk about the stuff that's not as sexy and as you know exciting as autonomous vehicles and robots and all this sort of stuff. So we're going to talk about methodology. I know it's sort of like brushing your teeth. Nobody you know really that gets that excited about it, but you got to do it. And so um, you know this. I, I say this is my really my question to you. You know you've really I think our surprise that we have is like really how much we're spending time on AI, not talking about AI and really talking about methodology and data processes and things like that. It's a bit of a surprise that we're at this point here. You know, in your interviews, what has have been your biggest surprise, the thing that surprised you most with regards to AI and machine learning and some of your interviews? There's definitely not enough time right now to talk about <laughs> everything. That's a big list, but that's a that's a great question. And um, yeah, let's dive into that. So I, when when you say interviews, I'll kind of extend that to also mean like just everything I see in industry as well and out there in the real world. Because again, I do work with a lot of teams and a lot of companies that are building real solutions. And um, there's just so much to, to say about this. One of the things is that, Number one, it's still amazing how not well understood AI and machine learning still are. Um, in general, I mean, these are massive, massive fields. We use these, we, we talked about that on, on the YouTube video we, we did, but um, it's great that we have these ni nice, neat little terms like AI and machine learning to kind of bucket it, everything into. But at the end of the day, it's so much more complex than that. So I think there's this problem where you know, people don't understand what they are, these fields are in general, but even whatever understanding they do have is like recommendation engines, right? Something they've they've heard about and they're familiar with. So they're like, yeah, I go to Amazon or Netflix and I know that's AI, I've learned that part. So, okay, AI is recommendation engines or AI is this, but in reality, it's just this massive, massive field that spans everything from pattern recognition, computer vision, natural language stuff, prescriptive analytics, predictive analytics. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. Anomaly detection, segmentation, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's a challenge. And, and one of the surprising things is despite um, people trying, like, like us, the three of us, you know, trying to help people understand that it's still so sort of nebulous uh, and mysterious and kind of not well understood. Um, 
Another interesting thing, go, sort of along the same lines, is I'm I'm always surprised. Uh, not people that work in AI, right? Like if we're talking, if we're interviewing people that actually are working in AI or machine learning or understand it fairly well, not so much with them, but a lot of people I'll talk to will very much think of AI as being this like sort of auto- totally autonomous, self-guiding, self-directing, self-improving, self-learning thing. Um, and reality, and, and in reality, really the only true part thing in AI right now that's kind of like that is reinforcement learning. Like that is kind of how reinforcement learning works, where you know you sort of set something in motion. I won't get into the details of how reinforcement learning works, but um, you just set set the system in motion, and there's some goals, and it's trying some sort of like agent things trying to achieve these goals and get positive rewards. And it's kind of learning over time. So it is sort of autonomously self-learning over time, but no, nowhere near in the sort of human intelligence level way that I think some people may think of it. Um, and then, you know, another thing that's surprising for me sometimes is how many companies or people that work at certain companies you know, know, hear about AI and sort of know that they need AI or want AI or something like that, but they're not able to move forward with it. Or if they do, they're unsuccessful. Um, you know, they just run into all these, there's so many challenges with, if you're, if you have really no AI program or AI maturity yet, it could be very challenging to kind of overcome a lot of different hurdles, which Again, that's why this conversation could go on and on because there's there's so much to just even that. But um, that's one of the things it's like, I think, and, and I know y- you both with your methodology and sort of focusing on that are, are probably helping, uh, you know, alleviate some of that. I think more, more of that, like putting better guidelines and frameworks, helping people understand to start small and iterate, things like that is really important. Um, and then the last thing I would say, and this is a personal thing about myself, for something that's surprising about AI is just how hard it is to keep up with. It is a ridiculously fast-paced, hard field to keep up with. I mean, I I read a lot of articles and get Google alerts and I listen to podcasts and this, and there's you know papers coming out all the time in archive, and there's all these new applications and new research and new breakthroughs, and it's just a very fast paced moving field. So um, it's very surprising how, how challenging and how much time and effort it takes to truly be sort of above level on all that with, and, and, and I try to be, that's where I want to be. I'm, I'm trying to be there for, cause it's most applicable to what I do with my consulting advising and my Y of AI stuff, as opposed to just being in like a TensorFlow model every day, all the time, you know, in the code or something. So. Yeah, you know, at, at Cognolytica, we track over 20,000 vendors in the AI landscape and it, you know, changes often. And so I like that you bring that up. Uh, that is, you know, part of what we do and it can be incredibly difficult to keep up with it. You know, you need to pay attention to companies, mergers, acquisitions, companies that go under. Why did companies acquire somebody else? Was it an hire? Was it for the technology? Was it to really help kind of move forward? There's some 
companies uh, that are very, uh, you know, acquisitive, they they acquire a lot of different companies. And so the question is, well, why and how much is it going for? And so we, we always pay attention to that. And actually, we found that when we were producing our analyst reports for certain markets in particular, they would, you know, if you're producing one or two reports on that area a year, they can get out of date very quickly with the number of new entrants that come into the field or companies that get acquired or even new fundraising rounds that happen. We we are shocked at some of the fundraising rounds that companies get. And also maybe they may start with a really small round and then their second round is ginormous. And we're like, wow, okay, your, your second round was like $100 million. Okay. <laughs> so yes, like, <laughs> it takes a lot to keep track of it. Um, and so that's great that, you know, there's, there's many people out there doing that. So this has been so incredible. We always love to interview various guests because we get such unique perspectives on the market, you know, and, and can collaborate and say, yes, you know, validating what we see or sharing additional insights. And when we interview guests, we always like to end with this final question because we get such um, a broad range of answers from guests and they can take it a bunch of different ways. And so I always love to hear what people have to say. As a final note, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to organizations and beyond? Yeah, I mean, so that's, it it can be broken up in different ways, I think. Uh, Starting with like just a pure advancement of the field of AI in terms of that, you know, I think we're going to definitely be seeing a lot more advancements in terms of techniques, in terms of algorithms, different kinds of software, hardware, ops, different kinds of ops. Also like as a service, you know, we're starting to see more and more of like AI as a service, ML as a service. Um, So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And in terms of the hardware aspect, um, one of the interesting things there is really just big advancements in compute power, which can result in, you know, a lot of reductions in time and cost, as well as even help environmental impacts, because a lot of these servers and GPUs and all this sort of thing, when you're training them for long periods of time, can have sort of a negative uh, carbon footprint type impact. So I think that's going to be an interesting area uh, coming up. Um, I think the question, you know, one of the things that, again, you know, a lot of people like to focus on with AI is this idea of AGI or human level intelligence or general intelligence. Um, you know, in terms of like where are we headed for that, what's what's what kind of new techniques are people going to be coming out with? Uh, some some experts think we've hit a wall with with things techniques like deep learning and other techniques like that. Um, some feel like maybe we haven't. We just need to expand them or enhance. Kind of like the introduction of transformers, like we talked about. Sort of find another way to make the current techniques work. Um, but really the, the key there, and that this is the part that I think is really important to understand is just the, the real challenges of getting a machine to even come close to having human-like intelligence, which is really like when we think of humans, you know, we have this implicit understanding of everything and we kind of can do transfer learning very naturally. Um, and, you know, there's like this, this theory, um, Piaget's theory of cognitive development and developmental psychology, where, you know, it talks about how very young kids and babies, and as they grow, they start to understand things like object permanence, gravity, solidity, like what's a liquid versus a, you know, a solid versus a this or that, um, you know, kids are able to recognize their parents without label, all of this without labels too. It's just sort of like naturally 
happens with human intelligence uh, or kid can see like a stick figure drawing of a draft, but then see a real draft for the first time ever, having only seen the stick figure drawing and go, oh, giraffe, just like that, you know? Um, AI doesn't do that kind of thing today. Um, or even just, you know, it goes back to conversational AI, like we were talking about and sort of where the, those limitations are, where, you know, um, we, we understand things that aren't actually said explicitly, right? So I might be talking to somebody and I say, hey, I'll meet you later at 5 p.m. And they're like, oh yeah, sounds good. But we both know that I mean I'll be at their house at 5 p.m., but I never said I'll be at their house at 5 p.m. We That kind of interaction understanding uh, implicitly happens constantly throughout the day for humans and machines sort of aren't there. So I think, you know, when we talk about the future of AI, we, that, that's really going to be in terms of figuring out human intelligence type stuff. That's really sort of where the secret sauces, things like that, things like counterfactuals, uh, like humans, um, meaning like being able to do what if stuff right now, computers can do predictive analytics. So you put in some variable numbers, you know, some values for different like levers or parameters and you get out a prediction, right? Like an output. Um, but, uh, you know, computers though, can't do like counterfactuals, like let's say I miss a bus that I needed to catch to get to work on time. Um, I'm able to say, well, what if I left just 10 minutes earlier? I would know that I would not have missed the bus, but a computer can't ask, what if I do this, what will happen and kind of already know. Uh, a computer can just say, you know, it's like a wood chip. <laughs> I use an example. It's like a wood chipper. You know, you have a, a log and you put a log in a wood chipper. It starts as a log. So think of that as the input or the data. The wood chipper does a bunch of things, chipping, and then the output is chips of wood, and then the machine goes idle again, right? That's what that's really what AI does today too. You know, you put an image in, it does the chipping away, and it says, "Oh yes, that's a cat," and then it, it's idle again. It doesn't think, it doesn't reason, it doesn't have common sense, it doesn't have comprehension, doesn't feel about anything, uh, it doesn't really remember too much. There's some amount of remembering in AI systems, uh, an area they call attention, but still um, that that's really when you're talking about the future of AI, like starting to solve some of these problems. And then a few other interesting areas. Um, I don't know if you all have been following some of like the Yan LeCun stuff and the self-supervised learning stuff, but that's a really interesting area where normally, you know, and what they call annotated or labeled data is very expensive to come by, uh, very hard to get, especially in the quantities needed often. And so companies really struggle with that and just don't have the data or can't afford it or whatever it is. Um, so there's this idea of self-supervised learning where you can basically like skip that whole labeling thing altogether. And in this case, it started like some of the early stuff I saw going on with self-supervised learning was really mostly around computer vision. But now it's being extrapolated to other forms of unstructured data like audio and language or text. So basically without labeling anything, you know, these systems can kind of learn what's in an image. Like if it's a fire engine or a cat or a football player or something automatically um, on its own without the labels, but also it can, it can combine, and that's some of that really interesting stuff going on now. It can do the same thing for audio and text. And let's say you have a, um, 
a image of a car crash happening, right? The, the self-supervised learning can know that it's a car crash visually in the image, but then it can also associate what kinds of sounds would sound like a car crash. So it kind of matches those sounds to that. And it can have text like, uh, I don't know, whatever kind of text, like an, let's say an insurance estimate or something for the repairs or, you know, I don't know, that's probably not a good example. It's still very interesting area to keep an eye on because that's very sort of nascent right now. Um, and then things like multitask learning. So AI mostly is very narrow today, just does each model does very specialized, narrow things, uh, but maybe, you know, training AI systems that can do multiple things at once and sort of multitask or do, um, uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in an area called zero and few shot learning where you can have very, GPT-3 is an example of this, but you can have um, very little data to kind of train on and still have a model that kind of works. And then of course, around the responsible AI, AI for good, stuff and future of work, I think, you know, more and more, like we discussed, um, I think the future is really all about better understanding the impact of AI in the environment, on climate, quality of life, workforce, seeing what kind of regulations come of everything. And then of course, just things like governance and ops around AI. So. Ooh, that's, yeah. a great, that's a lot of future. The I short like this. <laughs> yeah. Short list. So everybody's listening here. Work on all those things because <laughs> that's yeah. all of you. That's fantastic. I know we, we love it. It's, it's nice because it's, uh, as mentioned, when we ask this question, we always get so many different answers. Uh, it's, it's interesting. We talk about sort of what Jan Lacuna is talking about from his perspective, the future, the, the, the road to AGI is through unsupervised learning, semi-supervised, mm-hmm. but basically unsupervised learning. He's like, you're not taught how to do everything. You figured out on your own. Of course, the folks from DeepMind say that the future, the road to AGI is paved with reinforcement learning. So right. uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on both these guys. And I would say we have not yet had Jan LeCun or the DeepMind folks uh, on our podcast. We are totally open to it. We talk about AI today, so we will definitely talk about where we are from AI today. Just an open invite. Uh, if, if they're interested, we'd love to have them. Maybe we can do some joint thing on the uh, AI with Alex YouTube uh, channel. Love too. it. Love it. Yep. We'll do something. Awesome. Um, but anyway, I want this is fantastic. We could we could go on for hours. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't. I think we're something like forty something minutes. This is fantastic. So so I wanted to to just give you a a big thank you uh, for joining us here on our AI Today podcast. Hey, thank you so much. This has been a great pleasure. It's really uh, just a great time talking to you, and uh, love what you're doing. And it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for having uh for being on the podcast and having us on your YouTube as well, your YouTube channel. And we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes so that if anybody, if any of our listeners did not get the opportunity to uh, listen and watch that live, then you can. You can actually see me and Ron, our faces in real life, not just our voices. I know. <laughs> Um, but listeners, as always, we appreciate you so much listening and thank you so much. Reach out to us. We, you know, we, we do hear regularly from our listeners, but we always love to hear from you. If you have any, uh, you know, topics that you'd like us to discuss on upcoming episodes or suggested guests that you have as well, especially, uh, folks in industry who are actually implementing AI. And as always, please make sure to rate our podcast as well. We love to get your feedback and appreciate all of your ratings as well. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you at the next episode.
And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica, all rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.